Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. The lockout is now past its third month. We're into uh, the fourth month of the lockout now, but there's still a lot of baseball going on. Minor league spring training is underway for most clubs. College baseball, high school baseball, the draft, still a lot to talk about. And of course, we're continuing to plow through our top 10 prospects podcast series. And it's a good time to do it with minor league spring training getting underway. We're continuing on with the Texas Rangers farm system today. And to do that, we are joined by the esteemed Josh Norris. Josh, how you doing? I don't know who the esteemed Josh Norris is, but I'm here. So uh, if you want to talk to that one, I think he plays hockey. So, you know, maybe maybe get him on the podcast. Josh, I do find the Rangers farm system, really the Rangers organization right now, to be kind of fascinating. If we rewind to July 1st of last year, this was a bad team with a bad farm system, which is the place no organization wants to be. And in the span of about six months, they really pulled off a lot of moves that kind of reinvigorated the organization. At the trade deadline, they traded Joey Gallo as well as Jolie Rodriguez to the Yankees, brought back four prospects. They also shipped Kyle Gibson, Ian Kennedy, and Hans Kraus to the Phillies, brought back prospects there, really added some talent to the farm system. They also got some pitchers back healthy toward the end of the year, which really, really enhanced the future outlook for this organization because that's an area they were really, really scuffling. You add Jack Leiter in the draft. So all that's happening to their farm system. And then as soon as the World Series ends and we see the free agent frenzy before the lockout, they spent more than half a billion dollars to bring in Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, and John Gray. All of a sudden, this farm system is on the rise and the big league team looks better than it has probably in five years. Yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing what a few moves and a, lot, a little bit of money, I say a little bit of money, half a billion dollars uh, can do for you. But in the area of the trades, yeah, I mean, they sold Joey Gallo and that was going to get you a, a pretty, pretty big return. Uh, and it netted them a lot of middle infield help from the Yankees in addition to uh, Glenn Otto, uh, the right-hander. They also got Ezekiel Duran and Josh Smith and Trevor Hauver, three uh, up-the-middle guys who add to their pile of up-the-middle players. That also includes guys like Justin Foscue, who was the draft pick from 2020, uh, Luis Angel Acuna, Ronald's little brother, Maximo Acosta, the DSL uh, player, Cam Cauley, another draft guy from 2021. Uh, they've got a lot up the middle right now, and that's also in center field too, but we're talking about up-the-middle uh, infielders. So that really kind of revamped that area. And then you know, they had some other guys who kind of stepped forward this year outside of those trades. But when it came to, you know, revamping the system at the, at the midseason level or at midseason, that was really the key move, I thought. Yeah, one of the things that really jumped out to me, I'm just going to be perfectly blunt here. Um, you know, we were both in North Carolina together for many years. We saw a lot of Rangers prospects coming through Hickory and Down East. They're Class A affiliates. I saw a lot of Rangers prospects in their annual showcase they had with the Padres, uh, the On Deck Classic. And to be honest, 
99 times out of 100, I came away very underwhelmed with a lot of the Rangers prospects, the guys they were hyping up as these are our guys, these are our future stars, the Leody Tavares's, the Anderson Tejeda's, the Julio Pablo Martinez's. More often than not, just frankly, we're not that great. And, you know, guys you saw flashes from, Kyle Cody, AJ Alexi, it's like, okay, they have something. But it was very, very clear these were not guys who were going to take a team from fifth place and make them a playoff contender. What really stood out to me in the fall league this year, seeing Owen White, seeing Ezekiel Duran, to be honest, I came away impressed with the Rangers contingent in the fall league and really Rangers prospects in general in my looks this year, probably for the first time in five or six years. There's a a much higher talent level in the system that frankly is kind of clear as day, at least it was in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, their, their group in the fall league was really fun. I didn't get to see... I think Huff was out, well, supposed to be out there. He didn't do anything while I was there. Um, he was gone by then, but I saw Duran and he showed off some really, really big time power, which I knew he had because I do the Yankee system too. So a lot of that was just control C, control V uh, and change some words for the, the handbook purposes. Um, and White, I got to see him once in the regular season out here in Carolina and he was really, really, really good for me. Um, especially with the fastball. He, I didn't know a whole lot about him except he was a ranger and his numbers looked decent and he'd been hurt all year and he'd been hurt basically all of his career. Um, and it's very, very impressive. Uh, I forget who else was in that group, but yeah, they, they've done really well. The guys like Cole Reagans have gotten back healthy again, had a pretty cromulent year. Uh, shout out to the Simpsons for the word cromulent. Uh, and then, you know, Cole Reagan was in the Futures game. I thought one of the best stories of the Futures game was just that guy getting back on the mound after two TJs. Um, and they've got, they've got a lot of fun stuff coming in their system, period. It's going to be fun to see some dudes here in uh, Hickory and Down East. And, you know, we get the lower levels of their system, period, in North Carolina. Yeah, you know, you've seen those guys take some steps forward. Cole Wynn and Josh Young, two of their more recent first-round picks, showed a lot of promise last year. Uh, Justin Foskey, we saw some of his big power in the fall league. So there's no question. There's just a much higher level of talent in the Rangers farm system now, and that's really, really apparent. Josh, diving into this system, Jack Leiter, the number two overall pick last year, was really the, the ace of aces in college baseball for a lot of the season at Vanderbilt. And He's been a guy that a lot of people have known about since high school's Al Leiter's son on talent. He had the chance to be a first or second round pick out of high school, but uh, made it very, very clear he wanted to go to college, spent two years at Vanderbilt. Really, it was just his only full season at Vanderbilt in 2021 and pitched well enough to be the second overall pick in the draft. Didn't get a chance to make his pro debut. The Rangers held him back. But I mean, overall, what's the outlook for him? And was there really any debate for him at number one in the system with Josh Young? Uh, you could have gone with Josh Young. Um, you know, now it looks kind of like we made the right call. Not like we did anything there. It's just unfortunate that Josh Young is hurt and uh, would have probably taken a, taken a step back in an updated ranking if uh, I had gone Young 1 and Lighter 2. Uh, but, you know, he's got that kind of stuff, and he's got that kind of moxie and talent and all that good stuff to be at the top of the rotation starter. There's stuff that needs to be tweaked with him, just like any other young pitcher. But he's got a really sky-high ceiling. I'm hoping he'll get uh, at least a couple weeks here in Hickory before they move him to Double A Frisco. They've talked about starting him at Double A Frisco this year, which would kind of line up with some of the recent guys, like uh, your Max Meyer started his pro career in Double A. Jake Eater started his pro career in Double A. With that kind of, I mean, another Vanderbilt 
a Vanderbilt pedigree in Jake Eater. Granted, they got their feet wet officially in uh, alternate site Instructs land, and Jack didn't do that. He was there at Instructs, but he was mostly kind of working out rather than pitching. I think he went back to Vanderbilt to get to finish his degree or something like that um, in the off season. But it wasn't it wasn't a particularly wide gap between the two. But you know, as is usually really wise, I went pitcher over hitter. I mean, that's totally the thing that is is you know that people tell you to do, right? Yeah, again, and you're right. A lot of times when you have hitter versus pitcher and they're very, very close, you're going to default to the hitter just because we know how risky pitchers are. There's always attrition, the injuries. It's just so, so, so tough. Um, But at the same time, again, Jack Leiter, we talk about a college pitcher. I think what has always stood out is it's stuff and polish. It's not like this is a guy who it's all stuff and is going to need a lot of development. It's not a guy who is super polished, but the stuff is a little light. As you mentioned, there's small things to work on, but just in terms of an advanced pitcher who could move quickly – at least from the outside looking in, he does seem to check all the boxes. Is that an accurate read on it? Yeah. I mean, he's, I guess he's got a Vanderbilt pedigree, which is pretty much, uh, you know, what you want these days. It's, it's not a bad place to have a pedigree from if you're a pitcher. Um, he's got the big lead bloodline to certainly help. He's got the right people to train with in the offseason. He's got, you know, a pitch mix that has screamed high end since his high school days. I mean, I'll never forget seeing him as a high schooler when I didn't know it was him because I didn't have a roster and just was writing down, okay, t- whatever number blue, 26 blue has a really good curveball. And then going to look, like, oh, oh yeah, that's that guy. He's really good. I did think it was kind of as an aside. I thought it was pretty funny that our three hand, our three magazine issues this year for the top 10 prospects in the East, West, and Central feature two alums from the same high school, uh, Del Barton. Anthony Volpe was on the East cover and Leiter was on the uh, West cover. So two guys on the same high school team at the same time wound up covering BA in a three issue span, which I doubt has ever been done. Yeah. I mean, there's not many uh, high school pairings like that. And obviously we still have to see what these guys do in the majors, but uh, two number one prospects, in their system. I do want to ask, you mentioned there are a couple things to work on. Uh, the one kind of main question that's always surrounded him is just, his durability, but just because he's a smaller right-hander, uh, I do think it needs to be noted. He did miss one start at Vanderbilt last year, but we actually saw a lot of guys coming back off the shortened 2020 season, skip a start, miss a week here or there. He still pitched 110 innings, still held up just fine over the long haul when all things are considered. Finished among the national leaders in strikeouts and you know held up strong through the end of the year. He's a little bit homer prone, at least he was at Vanderbilt, and might need to adjust some things to get a little more angle on his pitches. How much of a concern is that? Is it just kind of a minor aside? You know, how, how do you kind of weigh that? I mean, on the one hand, giving up a home run is is pretty big problem if you're a pitcher. On the other hand, we live in an age where pitching development is so ridiculously good, uh, where you can fine tune anything you want in a lab and fix it. So I'm not really concerned that he can't fix it. I mean, the one problem he's not going to fix, I don't think, is the fact that he's six one. Um, I don't think he's going to get any taller at this point. But uh, you know, if you if you go back and you work with pitching guys and work with your high speed cameras and all that good stuff, you can find ways around that. It's not like there's never been a six one pitcher to succeed or a short right hander, short I say as five seven talking about six one uh, to you know pitch successfully in the big leagues. There, I mean, there's a lot of guys shorter than that who've done really well. So it's it's a concern now, but that's what player development's for. 
he has thrown exactly zero pitches uh, as a professional. So he's got plenty of time to work on that. Yeah, I know Ranger fans are obviously very excited to see him make his professional debut this year. And I think we're all going to be watching closely. Um, as highly touted as they come, has lived up to the hype pretty much every step of his career so far and really gives the Rangers a caliber of pitching prospect they, they haven't had in a very, very long time. Josh, this ranking was put together before Josh Young suffered a shoulder injury that required surgery and is going to keep him out for most of the 2022 season, if not all of it. Obviously, it's just tough, tough news because he got into AAA last year, really showed what a special hitter he can be, and you just hope he's able to come back fully healthy and not have any lasting side effects from this. In terms of the process of ranking him before the injury popped up, what kind of player were people seeing? Because again, 2021 was his first full season, and and he missed time even with that too, uh, recovering from a foot injury. But even in just kind of the, the half season or so he had, he really opened some eyes. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy, we, we put potential six hitter with six power on him, and that's uh, frankly not, not, not the kind of hitter to be trifled with. That's the kind of guy who you put at third base or first base and let him rake. I mean, he hit the ball hard, too. I think we got the stat here that his 91.1 average exit velocity was the same exactly on the number as Pete Alonso and Jorge Soler, which are two pretty good guys to be in company with in terms of hitting the ball real hard. Uh, he didn't strike out a ton. He... The ball, he averaged on base power. What more do you want? The only question was third base or first base. And uh, there was a lot of questions about reps too, because he'd had the broken foot to start the year last year. Now he's got the shoulder thing. So we're going to see how that affects him going forward. If I remember correctly, it's not his throwing shoulder. So that won't sap him throwing arm wise at third base, but we'll see how it affects him from a hitter standpoint when he comes back, whether that's at the very tail end of the year this year or in the fall league, shout out fall league. Um, it's just unfortunate. It's going to be a lost year for him after no minor league season in 2020 and just a weird year in 2021 in terms of player development. So hopefully he comes back pretty healthy next uh, in 2023 or at the end of 2022, whatever year this is. Yeah, as you mentioned, it was his left shoulder, uh, torn labrum. He's had the surgery, and the expected recovery time is going to be six months. So I just hope he comes back fully healthy because this is a special hitter. And even during my calls in 2020 around Instructional League, you know, he was jumping out along with Michael Bush, who's probably the two best hitters in Arizona. Even then, there were defensive questions. Uh, a lot of the reviews were, this guy is a great, great hitter didn't particularly care for the defense at third base. We got a little bit more of that this year. Again, got to AAA, hit well. Everyone was completely bought in on the bat. This is an all-star level bat in terms of average and power. It's just the defense was a little shaky at times. But it does seem like, just in talking to everyone, that even if he moves to first base, he's going to hit enough. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not really an issue, even if he has to move. Obviously, you prefer him to stay at third, but that's not going to prevent him from profiling as a potential star. Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much nailed it. Just we have to see what it looks like when it comes back. Josh, the Rangers had a pretty sordid history of their pitchers needing Tommy John surgery. Uh, we've talked about it before on these podcasts. We've written stories about it. It was um, a really, really lengthy list, and it honestly hurt the outlook of the of the big league club. We've seen them really struggle to fill out a rotation the last couple of years, and a lot of that's their homegrown pitching prospects have just not been able to stay healthy. We started to see some promise from a high school right-hander last year, and that was Cole Wynn. Cole Wynn was the 2018 BA High School Player of the Year. Uh, I saw a lot of him at Orange Lutheran. The Rangers took him 15th overall, and 
for all the concerns about high school right-handers, he had everything you wanted to see from a high school right-hander in terms of polish, three pitches, control, command, good body with some room to develop. And his velocity range was where you wanted it to be, low 90s, touch of 95, 96. Kind of checked every box. His first full season in 2019 was a little bit up and down. Uh, but 2021 came back, made the Futures game, and really had an excellent year. 21-year-old across double A AA and triple A at a 2-4 ERA. Uh, struck out more than 11 per nine. The walks were reasonable. And really the number that jumped out to me was he allowed four and a half hits per nine as a 21-year-old in double A and triple A. I mean, just no one really barreled him up. What were the reviews you were getting on Cole Wynn and, and how good can he be? Yeah, that's the one thing that's it's um, with the pandemic. Um, time has seemed to kind of melt like the clocks in that famous painting. Um, but it was hard to fathom that he was only 21 last year and he will be only 22. That's how numbers work for all of this year too. He won't turn 23 until November 25th. That was a really young man with very little in-game experience carving at the highest levels of the minor leagues. He was he's everything you said. He's got potentially plus weapons in his fastball and his curveball slider and changeup are average to above average with average control. Shoot. He did really, really well. Um, for a, for a first extended test at the upper levels, he had a little bit of control command issues at uh, AAA, where he walked 5.6 per nine in two starts. So five walks in uh, eight innings there. So not a, not a huge sample. Um, he did some stuff over the off se- or uh, over the course of the season to kind of improve his pitch mix. But this is a guy who we could be mid rotation type starter. Um, so that's. It's more than they've produced in recent years, for sure. And we do, he didn't just appear in the Futures game. He started that sucker. So That's correct. He did. That. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, uh, he's, he's long been a personal favorite of mine, and just seeing the progress has certainly been something promising. And all of a sudden, I just go back to our readers know we put together projected future lineups for all teams as part of our prospect handbook process. And there was a couple years in a row where – it was hard to find five starting pitchers to fill out the Rangers' projected future rotation. And all of a sudden, now you have Leiter and Wynn. This is a one-two punch of pitching prospects again that really just strikes me, at least in my time, not just at Baseball America, but I remember seeing the Rangers' prospects when they were in high desert for high A back in 2015, 2016. And, you know, they had Luis Ortiz and Johander Mendez, but those guys were not the level of these guys. And we clearly saw that with the way their big league careers turned out. I don't think the Rangers have had a one-two pitching punch in their farm system like this, at least since I've been seeing their minor leaguers, and that's seven years now. I mean, this this feels like it's different. Yeah, I, we have our always 100% accurate 2025 lineup. As <laughs> number two, three, lighter and win uh, behind number one, John Gray, who's pretty decent in his own right. Uh, and then – Owen White, we talked about earlier, and Dane Dunning. I mean, there's another guy that they acquired in trade. Uh, they did pretty well with that one. Although they gave up a pretty good guy um, in, in Lance Lynn to get him. But, yeah, if, if this comes even closer, that if he can get lighter win and white, among others, to to Arlington, it's pretty good. pretty good start for a homegrown mix that you hadn't seen in a while. 
Absolutely. And, and again, there's always reason to be cautious with pitching prospects, but I think there's just more potential than there really has been at any time in the last seven or eight years in this Rangers farm system. Josh, these are the three players who are clear-cut top 100 prospects. Leiter and Young are among the top 30, wins not terribly far back. After that, it did become a little bit more of a, of a mix, but a mix of good players to be sure, guys who are not on the top 100, but you at least ask the question, do they have a case? And in most cases, you can see it where there's some promise for them to be, if not now, certainly within the next year or two. Take me through this next group again, clear-cut top three. Uh, for, for the four and five spots, how many players were in the mix? This is a good group right here. I've had I've made several iterations of this list, sure. Um, if you if you ask, ask me to make it again, I might make it a little differently. Uh, i got Duran here at number four, who might have the highest upside of all of them, but he also might have the most volatility given uh, his, his swing and miss um, and where he's going to wind up on the diamond. Uh, you're going to try him in the outfield this year. Uh, Cause frankly, there are so many middle infielders. Um, and I got Dustin Harris after that. If you told me Dustin Harris was in the middle of our top 100 by the end of this year, assuming we have a, we don't, we have a season and players can graduate from our current top 100. Uh, he that wouldn't surprise me. Dude hits. And for a guy who uh, was regarded as the second piece in that Marcus uh, or Mike Minor deal behind Marcus Smith, wow. I don't know who the pro scouts are who did that work on that trade, but, you know, standing ovation. Great get on that guy. He hit. He hit for average. 20 bombs. I forget what the number was, but his combination of home runs and stolen bases granted he was playing in a league where the rules were a little different for stolen bases um stood out this guy man he's just gonna hit that's really all there is to say he's going to hit yeah dustin harris had one of the best seasons in the minor leagues last year you look at it it's a 2020 season 20 homers he's 25 for 27 on steals and again there's some rules changes that made stealing bases easier but still you have to have some speed and some instincts to pull that off which he did hit 327 401 542 i mean everything was there it is the lower levels and we are talking about a year where the quality of play in the lower levels was really the worst it's been in recent memory what is the outlook here? How good can he be? Because again, it was a great season. Everything seems to check out. It is more first base than third base. But again, if you can hit, it's not going to matter. And by all accounts, he can hit. Uh, what are the Rangers looking at here in terms of how much potential this guy has? Well, it might be more outfield than first base. But they're going to try him there too. Um, again, they just have so many guys. But man, I just, I'll just say it again. He can really, really hit. He <laughs> He's go- he has a chance to be one of those kind of hitters that you look back and say, how the hell did you get him at the end of this deal? I mean, the double-A and triple-A are going to be a big test for him. Granted, Frisco and uh, Round Rock are not exactly pitcher's paradises, um, but I have no doubt in my mind that this dude's going to hit. He's going to produce something close to what he did last year. It's going to be really fun to watch his progress. I mean, they did such a good job getting him. And I will, I'm sure I'll, I'll kind of scoop you here. Such a good job getting Evan Carter, uh, who's number eight on this list. That's a guy who, I'm, I don't know why I'm segueing without you, but I am. Uh, Evan Carter is a guy who was on nobody's radar uh, entering the draft. The work they did on him, again, I'll give you another standing ovation for that. 
because he was, I believe, the youngest player on an opening day roster last year, well, the youngest position player uh, behind Yuri Perez overall. And he did pretty darn well. It wasn't you know high average, but 438 on base, a little bit of speed, a little bit of power for a guy who was really, really young um, at, a, at a full season level. No, no extended spring training, nothing like that. And then unfortunately he had a, a back injury that required him to miss the rest of the season and cost him fall league. But this is a guy who's toolsy. He can get on base. He can play some center field. He's got some speed. He could be easily higher on this list. Um, great job by the Rangers amateur department on this guy. And frankly, all their departments, if I remember correctly, they did some work in the pro department on him because there was no minor league season. So they had their pro guys help out on draft video and uh, in, in the advance of the draft. Yeah, you got to have these scouting finds to, again, go from a, a bottom 10 farm system to one that's pushing the top 10. And by all accounts, they did that. Josh, I want to dive into the rest of the system, kind of the back half and outside the top 10. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back with Josh Norris breaking down the Texas Rangers farm system. All right, Josh. So you kind of hit on Evan Carter and, and really just what the early impressions were and, and how impressive he was in his pro debut. It was only 32 games, but like you mentioned, there was power, there was on base, you know, a lot of things to like there. Justin Foscue did some good things. We talked about Owen White and how he looked coming back from surgery. You talked about Josh Smith and Luis Angel Acuna. Overall, how many guys in this system would you say were in the mix to be in the top 10? Because again, we talk about how in the past, a lot of Rangers top prospects really kind of failed to live up to the hype. Just even watching them when you went to saw them in person, it was pretty clear they weren't as good as they'd been talked about. Um, but they're also, you know, the depth was never that great. And thus, that's how you had a bottom 10 farm system, not much at the top and not a lot of depth. All of a sudden, you have these guys at the top, and it does, again, seem like there's there's more depth here than maybe there has been in years past. How many guys had legitimate cases to be in the top 10? I mean, Sam Huff could have been in there. He's at number 11. Uh, he, he's got the injury. Um, he's also very large, and catchers that large don't normally catch for a while. But also, humans don't necessarily often sock 519-foot home runs, 
which is a thing he did in the Arizona Complex League or Extended or one of those settings in Surprise, Arizona. He just didn't get on the field a lot this year and will not get on the field until this stupid lockout is over because he's a 40-man guy. Uh, Aaron Zavala, go Ducks. Uh, they're, they're second rounder out of Oregon this year or this past year. Uh, there were some issues with the medical. I believe I read it was, I forget, I would love to credit the reporter I saw it from, but I don't remember. Uh, it was a benign tumor on his spine that they found during uh, pre-draft that kind of didn't take a little longer to sign than, um, than would be normal. But he's got an interesting skill set from the left side with power and hit ability. Uh, Ricky Venasco is a name at 13 that, again, on the 40-man roster, so... Another guy that's really hurt by this since he didn't pitch at all in 2021 while recovering from Tommy John, except for the instructional league setting, uh, especially in the college barnstorming uh, period of their instructional league. I think he pitched at TCU. Uh, but this is a guy who's got big stuff, needs a little more refinement on the off-speed stuff, but that's a big arm and that's going to pitch in the big leagues. And TK Roby, I think I saw him that same series at – Zebulon, as I did, no, it was earlier in the season, that I saw White, but there's a guy who's got stuff, and swagger is one word to describe him. Boy, does that guy want to screw you up. Um, and it's just, it's apparent that he does not care for hitters, and he will uh, pitch inside if he wants to. He will do anything he wants to on that mound. His curveball spins like a mother. Um, he's a fun guy to watch. Um, I'm hoping to get to see him a little bit in Hickory this year. He, uh, this is what I think it's going to be. He and Leiter might have a very brief curveball spin rate fest in uh, Hickory to start the year. If, uh, and again, Rangers officials, hear my plea. Jack Leiter starts in Hickory for a few weeks. Uh, that should be a really fun top of that rotation. I think that's probably where you stop the could have been in the top 10. Uh, talk. Glenn Otto at 15 is a, is a good get, and he had he came back from 2020 uh, looking a lot different than he did in 2019 is the year before 2020. Um, he had some surgery too, if I remember correctly, and they tweaked his rotate, tweaked his um, his off-speed pitch mix. He's the rare guy for the fastball to have backed up a little bit velocity-wise but the numbers were much, much better. And he made his big league debut. So, you know, there's, but I don't think he was ever in the mix for top 10. Two guys on this list who were big time international signees, Byron Laura and Maximo Acosta, uh, were not in the top half of this farm system. Both made their professional debuts. What were the early impressions of them and ultimately what led you to settle them into the back half of the system? Well, Laura, I mean, he struck out a lot. 73 times in 147 at bats. That's a problem. Um, big power, but that's a lot of swing and miss, even for that level and that age. I, yeah, I, I don't think you could put that in the top 10 unless your system is very, very bad. Um, Maximo Acosta did a little bit better in the ACL, uh, but he also got hurt, and it was hard to kind of gauge anything about him. So he was, based on the grade we put on him, 50 extreme, he kind of had to be more in the back end. If you told me he bounced back this year and was really good, um, it wouldn't surprise me, but the surgery was problematic and just the limited look. I mean, 61 at bats. Who are some of the guys that are in the back of this list that really intrigue you guys who could pop? Because you've talked about it. We've started to see the Rangers. Again, we still have to see how it plays out in the majors. That's the ultimate measure. But 
they seem to be drafting better in recent years. You've talked about some of the finds they've made on the pro side, you know, Dustin Harris being first and foremost among them. Who are some guys that maybe are in the back half of the system but could really pop and could be another Dustin Harris type of guy that maybe we're not thinking about now but could really, really blow up in the next year? Well, I'll just pick another guy that they got from the A's, Dane Acker. Um, he was a guy who popped in minor league spring training last year, and then his elbow popped as well. And he had uh, the surgery, and he could be back. I don't remember. I don't remember when he's going to come back. He had two starts at low A down at low A down East, um, so he should be back at some point this year. But he was a guy that they were really big on um, before he got hurt. Um, another guy who didn't make the thirty, who I might have put on there if I did had to do this again. Daniel Mateo. He was number thirty-one, decent defender, or a very good defender in center fielder in center field and starting to tap into his tools. He was at low A by the end of the year. Uh, kind of a reliever type to watch. I think it would be a reliever type to watch. Uh, Emiliano Teodo, uh, up to 102. Uh, average 98 on the fastball. Mid-A's curveball with 3,000 plus RPMs, a spin rate. It's a nice starting package if, you, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, at the very end of games, that should be really, really fun. Um, those are the, I mean, the guy they got from um, the Phillies, Kevin Gowdy, uh, looked a lot better than he did a few years prior with the Phillies uh, when he, he just didn't look good. I mean, he was a guy that the Phillies gave big money to uh, a few years back. But again, this proves their, their scouting uh, chops and the ability to spread their guys out. They saw him, I believe the day before they made the trade with the Phillies um, and included him in the deal because uh, he's his, his uh, fastball was back up to the mid to uppers and uh, decent slider too. So that's a guy who could be probably a reliever at this point, but interesting guy to keep an eye on going forth. And then, you know, I'll stump for a personal favorite. I believe stuff is stuff and it doesn't necessarily I think in the right organization, it can do wonders. Uh, he's not a prospect, but Spencer Howard, I think I, I wouldn't close the book on him. Um, I think that should be a really, that could be a really good guy to add to your rotation. Um, he didn't, I didn't include him in the 2025 lineup, but I, he very well could be like, that was a guy who was a very high level top 100 prospect a couple years ago, had some troubles in the big leagues, but I'm not ready to, to give up on him just yet. Yeah, it was, it was a rough first turn with the Rangers. Had a 9-7 ERA and eight starts. Um, but, you know, we'll see what he's able to do with a full offseason, although obviously the lockout sort of affects how much <laughs> yeah. work he's able to do with with uh, team officials. So that's a very full offseason. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's problematic for, for a lot of young players. But we'll see if he's able to bounce back. As you mentioned, a lot of people saw some really good things from him as a prospect. And, um, you know, we'll see if the Rangers are able to make some changes and help them access that against big league hitters. Josh, moving forward, one thing that jumps out is this farm system, especially now that Josh Young got hurt, they're probably not going to graduate most of these guys in this year. I mean, it's possible. We'll see, you know, maybe Cole Wynn. I, I think he make his debut, whether he graduates. You know, we have to see how long the season is, how it plays out, when everyone's actually able to get into camp. But this is the farm system, as we talked about, is on the verge of the top 10. They have the third overall pick in the 2022 draft. They're going to go for it in the majors. Some of their signings are trying to build, not tear down. 
what is the outlook for this organization, this farm system? Again, I guess if they're going to build, maybe they trade some of these guys. What's next for the Rangers? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're going to trade some of these guys, quite frankly. There's another team in that West Division that I've mentioned that they've already traded with twice, the A's, and gotten Dustin Harris and Dane Acker and Marcus Smith. That is going. That is probably going to sell off some of its pieces uh, when when things reopen. And I don't know, Frankie Montes would look really nice in that rotation. <laughs> and they have the pieces to do it. So I don't know. I think, I think, I think, well, I think everybody thinks once this thing is lifted, you are going to see whatever we saw right before the lockout, like on steroids, just absolute chaos with free agent signings and trades. It's just going to be, you're going to have, if you have like alerts on for the Jeff Passons and Buster Olneys of the world, your phone's going to be brrr, just crazy kind of noise. In any case, it's going to be wild once this thing is over with and you can make a lot of moves. I think that's where they're going to go next. Like I said, they have a stockpile of dudes that at, at the middle infield and you typically tend to trade from strengths. That's what they have right now. <laughs> they ain't all going to play middle infield in Arlington. Yeah, we'll see what they do. Uh, this is an organization that's had five straight losing seasons, obviously is trying to make moves to uh, end that stretch and get back to the postseason for the first time since 2016. And look, the farm system's in a better place than it was only seven, eight months ago now. And the major league team is in a better place with more talent than, uh, than it was seven or eight months ago. And that's all you can ask for to, you know, those two things to start moving in the right direction. And after maybe stagnating for a little bit, the Rangers appear to be headed in that direction and we'll see what moves they make next. And, and not only do they have that stockpile of middle infielders, they signed Sembian and Seager. So they have all those middle infielders, and then they blocked them all. So <laughs> it seems to me that some of these guys are going to be moving to the outfield or, you know, moving addresses. <laughs> I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not a, a, a Nostradamus here, but you can see how this kind of might play out either as soon as the lockout is lifted or whenever the tra- trade deadline may be, uh, depending on when the lockout is lifted. Yeah, we'll see what happens. That The Rangers are definitely going to be a team to watch for a number of reasons in that regard. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. No problem. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.